Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. So we've been in a new series starting last week called The Vow. Uh, Basically, it's a study in the book of Nehemiah. I'm going to do a brief recap of the book of Nehemiah. So uh, I kind of compared it to 9-11, right? There was a lot of tragedy leading up to the story of Nehemiah. There was a lot of loss, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of heartache. They had been exiled from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah saw that they were trying to rebuild the city, rebuild the temple, but they had no walls. And so Nehemiah said, hey, uh, Mr. King, Artaxerxes, am I allowed to go back to my hometown and help? And Nehemiah had a very cushy, nice job. He was uh, really high ranking in the palace. I mean, he could have just sat back the rest of his life and enjoyed his days, but he didn't do that. He saw a need with his family. He saw a need with his people. And he said, I want to go help meet that need. So he left uh, Artaxerxes palace with the blessing of the king and even the money to go and do the project. Amen. Uh, The world actually funded the kingdom in that moment. Um, and so there he goes, he goes back and then he figures out that, man, it's, it's really hard to get this project done. It's really hard to build these walls because they are surrounded by enemies. They are surrounded by people who are trying to constantly attack them. So they realize the only way to get this project done was number one, never change clothes. <laughs> they, they pretty much did not even leave their post. And number two, they worked with one hand and they held the sword in the other. They learned that in order to accomplish their task, they had to both work and fight at the same time. Can I get an amen this morning? Sometimes you have to work and fight at the same time. In order to get that project done, they had to work in unity. They had to work quickly. They had to work as one. And any time somebody tried to come in and badmouth Nehemiah, he basically ignored them. And he just kept working. Everybody say, keep working. Keep working. And so they ended up building the entire wall around Jerusalem in how many days? 52 days. That's a fast project for doing it all one hand at a time, right? Fast project. Here's how that happened. They were in unity. They had a vision and they walked it out together and they stayed in unity. Because they stayed in unity, they did not fail. They were able to accomplish their task. Here's the problem as it relates to our current situation. Does our nation, does our world right now look unified? Does the body of Christ look unified? I mean, if we're honest, even our own families, do they look unified? In fact, we are very divided as a nation, as a society, as a people, as the human race. We're divided on all sorts of issues. As a country... Over 70% of people that were polled actually believe we are divided as a nation. 70%. So they are undivided on the fact that we're divided. (laughs) 
Does that make sense? The only thing we agree on is that we disagree. Does that sound familiar? As the body of Christ, why are we so divided? There's a quick answer. It's because there's so many different kinds of people who profess to be Christians. There's so many different kinds of people who say they are a Christian. In fact, Corpus Christi, when we moved here, when we studied, maybe some of you guys remember this, when we were planting, starting off, we were doing some research and we found out that 80% of Corpus Christi believed they were Christian. And only 10% went to church. Hello? That's a huge difference. How can you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you do it without community? You do it without others. It's not possible. It's actually not healthy. Paul the Apostle told us later on in the New Testament that do not forsake the assembling together because there is life in it. There is health in it. It benefits you spiritually. It benefits you emotionally. It benefits you socially. How many of you ever had to go through quarantine? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I've been through a quarantine. It's the worst thing in the world to sit in the house that you pay for and do nothing. I think about it. We pay for this house to have us here and I'm bored out of my mind. Like, what am I doing here? I don't like being here. But yet, that's the season a lot of us have been in and have gone through. There's so many people that have gone through it. And so we all can relate. We all can feel that struggle. But it's not healthy. We need each other. We need community. We need family. We need church. So why are we divided? It's because we have failed to keep the main thing the main thing. When we and Cheryl were in Bible college, our uh, Bible college president would say this all the time. And I think he said it so much, it just got stuck in our brains. He said, Matt, keep this main thing the main thing. And then he preached, he got keep the main thing the main thing. And then he'd be in a class, keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, he said it so much, I was like, yeah, man, what is that again? Keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, he just said it so much, but it's true. The more and more I grow and, and learn and, and mature, I realize he's so right. When churches lose sight of the main thing, when our society lose sight of the main thing, we've lost our way. We've dabbled in so many other things. We have failed to keep things about loving Jesus and making disciples. Do you realize that Christianity is really not that hard as a principle. It's hard to go through. Yes, you're going to go through some stuff. And I'm not saying it's, it's easy to like live this out. But as a principle, what we're supposed to do, the task at hand, what Jesus actually said, hey, here's your job description, right? You ever wondered, what am I supposed to do with my life now that I'm saved? Jesus told us, go make disciples. In other words, duplicate yourself. That's it. That's your job. And, and you can use your gifts. You can serve where you want to serve. Ultimately, your job as a Christian 
is to duplicate you. Go and teach someone what you learned. You see, I'm just going to get real honest. Can I get real honest? I get frustrated as someone who has been behind a pulpit now since 2003. I'm getting old. (laughs) I get frustrated when people tell me how good of a message I preach and never repeat it to anyone. If it's so good, what are you doing with it? If, it, if it's so good, if it helped you so much, who did you share it with? Who did you give it to? Because if it helped you, then it's probably going to help your neighbor. It's probably going to help your friend. It's probably going to help your coworker. Because most of the time, I put together my notes, but it's God that does the speaking. And he does the work. I'm just the messenger. But what's frustrating is to hear, yeah, man, that was a great message. And they can remember all of it, quote it, but never share it. It's time to share. It's time to keep the main thing, the main thing. What's the main thing? Make disciples. Duplicate yourself. Share it. I think the problem with why we're so divided as a nation, why we're so divided as the body of Christ is because we have lost the simple gospel which is to simply love jesus with all our heart and make disciples matthew 10 34 says this do not think that i have come to bring peace on the earth well wait a minute what jesus said what you can look at your neighbor and say jesus said what there we go what Thank you for being so engaged. (laughs) Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. This is your Savior speaking. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What? For I have come, listen, to set Man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not Worthy of me, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What? What is Jesus saying? He came to make you argue? Oh, no, no, no. Jesus did not come to cause division. His presence does that all by itself. You know why? Because his presence forces people to make decisions. See, division is not the same as conflict. 
Division is intentionally trying to disrupt things. That's not what a sword does. A sword brings conflict. A sword makes war. A sword comes to create battle, to create warfare. And so he's saying, I came to teach y'all how to fight this out to the point of making a conscious decision to follow me. Because if you can fight this out and still follow me, it's real. But those who don't want to do the work of fighting it out and living it out and pushing through, they will fall to the wayside. And they'll become enemies. Division is not the same as conflict. Division is a choice to be the opposite of God, what God wants. Conflict is the fight for the soul that we all must endure to find the peace that comes from life with Christ. See, let me teach you something real quick, because I know I just said a lot. There is a difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. You know the difference? A peacekeeper doesn't want anyone to fight anymore. Just stop. No one fight. A peacemaker understands that in order to find a real resolution, you have to fight it out. You have to go to war. You have to discuss and engage and find out where the heart of the issue is. And once you find out where the heart of the issue is, the word of God brings the correction to that issue. And now peace is made because the presence of Jesus is there in that moment through his word. The problem is we just want everyone to stop, don't engage, don't, don't talk it out, just be peacekeepers. It never solves anything. Jesus actually goes later on in John 5 in the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. Because he knew that the ones who learned how to make peace learned how to wage through war skillfully. Y'all following me yet? So conflict, again, is the fight for the soul that all must endure to find the peace that comes from life with Christ. You cannot find peace unless you go to war first. In order to find peace with Christ, you have to go to war. I mean, that's what happened when you got saved. How many of you know you went through a battle? You went through a war until you finally fell at the feet of Jesus Christ, right? You went through everything imaginable. You don't even want to go back there, right? Because you know what that was like. That's called war. That's called peacemaking because finally his love overcame and peace has come. The conflict doesn't come because you shared your Facebook post. That's not what I'm talking about. We all do that. We share our Facebook posts and then we got like five haters and we're like, oh, we're in battle. We're in conflict. No, you're not. Oh, I feel the spiritual warfare. No, 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 that's not spiritual warfare. The conflict comes when you finally open up your mouth and preach nothing but Jesus. That's when the conflict comes. The conflict comes when you bring Christ as the solution to all issues. That's when real conflict comes. 
Because when you present Christ as the solution to all of our issues, financial issues, social issues, health issues, every kind of thing imaginable, Christ is the solution to all of it. Following his way, following his word. When you do that, that's when conflict comes. Not sharing your political view on Facebook. That's just asking for it. We've all been there. If you are hated because you are a jerk to people, you deserve it. But if you are hated because you refuse to preach anything less than Jesus Christ to the systems of this world, you will actually receive a reward in heaven one day. If you are hated because all you do is share Christ with people, you actually get rewarded for that. Jesus promised that many will hate you. Many will reject you. And even some, many will persecute you, martyr you because of your faith in Christ. What we get mixed up is when we take a stand on our social issues and act like we're standing in for God. The message We need to preach every time, at all times, no matter what's going on in our world, is Jesus plus nothing else. That's the message we need to preach. Our goal should be to make disciples. How can we do that if we're constantly trying to convince people of how we think about the current issues of the world? We can't. We can only reach people with the truth of God's word. You see, in the, in the New Testament, when it said you would be hated, it meant that you'd be put to death. Yet we feel so hated on social media. We're not hated. People just don't like you. That's all. It's not the same thing. People don't like what you said. They don't like your profile picture. So what? That's why mine are like, hey, look at my taco. You know, because everybody loves tacos. Can't hate on that. That's not hating. Real hatred is when you start to feel the threat of the actual enemy. Coming for you, for your family, for your future. Ephesians 6.12 says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm going to read that again. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Maybe to this side of the room. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I need you to get that deep down in your spirit. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over their present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You have to understand that the person you are having a problem with, they are not your problem. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against something much broader, much deeper, much more unseen. 
So how do we fight? Well, first of all, you don't fight that person. You're not going to accomplish anything by trying to fight with the person. When Jesus said, I came to bring a sword and said his father against his mother and mother against son and son against daughter, all this stuff. He was talking about the fact that there is spiritual warfare going to take place. And we're not here to fight amongst each other. We're here to fight this spiritual battle so that the truth can be revealed at all times. How do we fight this spiritual battle? This battle is raging like crazy right now. All over the place, all over our, our nation, all over the world. This, this thing where everyone is at each other's throats and mad at each other and yelling at each other and protests and anger and all that stuff. We're not wrestling against people. We're wrestling against spiritual enemies. So we finally get to our main text. How do we fight the battle that rages today? Because I don't know about you, but in the past year, I've just noticed a real sense of spiritual warfare like I've never really experienced before. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Y'all feel that? Like to the point where like I'm up at night and I'm like, man, what is that? Or like dreams, like even sure I had a dream that night. That stuff happened. Like you have these dreams like what does that mean? What is that? Why is this happening? And all this stuff is going on around you. You don't even know why. It's because it's spiritual warfare. I haven't had this experience in a very long time because it's very, uh, not very often that I sing. But when I used to lead worship consistently every weekend in our home church back in San Antonio, I would remember uh, at a very young age experiencing physical pain while I would sing and only while I would sing. And I was much thinner and stronger back then. I was in better shape. So I was like, I had no reason to be feeling this pain. You know, I was in like my 20s and I'm like, what is wrong with me? And it only happened when I would lead worship. As soon as I get off the stage, nothing. And it would happen so often that one day the light bulb clicked and I said, oh, this must be spiritual warfare. And I'm feeling it physically. And sure enough, I remember vividly one day during service, I'm singing and it was just this awesome moment. I just feel the presence of God. And all of a sudden, here comes that pain. Just right there in, the, in my back. It's like someone stabbing you. And I started going, oh, now I know. And so while I'm leading, I start to pray and just declare God's goodness in that moment. That pain never came back. Ever. Because once you identify the fact that you're in spiritual warfare, there's only one thing you have to do. Lift up the name of Jesus Christ. See, we make it so complicated. Oh, we got to get on these. And, ah, ah, we're going to throw all the books around and the whole world's going to get shaken. You know what? It's so simple. When you lift up the name of Jesus, everything has to bow to it. Every principality Every ruler, every authority in heavenly places, it all bows at the name of Jesus Christ. You can get theatrical if you want. Some of you like to be theatrical. That's okay. I prefer to get it done and move on. <laughs> so I'm like, not the day, devil, in Jesus' name. And then you just pray and you let God take care of it. 
So in Nehemiah 8, we're going to read this real quick. In Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 12, it says this. And all the people gathered. So this is after they built the wall. They've accomplished their goal. They're praising God. Yes, we finally did it. I think Alex can appreciate a, a strongly built wall, right? Imagine that. Like, wow, look at that. It's awesome. It's done. It's complete. I'm still building walls over there. It's ridiculous. After months. Nehemiah 8 says this. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. And on the first day of the seventh month, and he read it from facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. He didn't stop reading for hours. He's reading. They're all standing there. They haven't heard the word of the Lord in so long. And they're finally in the place that they built. It's like when we got into this place and we're like, wow, look what God did. And then we finally gather to hear the word. And they gathered for hours. And he didn't stop reading from morning till midday. What verse was I on? Ah. Verse 3, and he read it facing the square from the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. They literally said, we're going to build a stage for this just so we can have this event. I mean, think about that, that process. Like, where did this idea of, like, the church and the stage, you know, all this stuff. This is where it comes from. This is, like, the original setting. The first time you ever see this where someone is standing from a stage, a wooden platform that they built to proclaim the gospel. Pretty wild, huh? So he stood on this wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood, I'm going to skip all these names because I think I'm just going to get tongue-tied. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, much like I'm above you right now. I'm just kind of a little higher, right? And so this is how they built it on purpose. For he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. Everybody stand real quick. Everybody stand real quick. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered. Oh, no, y'all can do better than that. All the people answered. Amen and amen. Lifting up their hands. Lift up your hands. And they bowed their heads. Bow your heads with me. And worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You see, this... This is what worship looks like. You don't even need music. You just need your heart to be in the right posture. Lord, we bless you this morning. We bless you this morning. We thank you. That regardless of the situations we find ourselves in. You never leave our side. You are always present. Your goodness is always there. Your peace is always available. Your spirit is always comforting.
And Lord, we honor you this morning. You can sit. Also, Joshua, and then all these other names I'm going to skip, helped the people to understand the law. Listen, they helped the people to understand the law. So those that understood were helping those that couldn't understand, right? We need each other. Why are we here? Why are we here? So you can help one another. Those of you that understand a little more and those of you that don't quite understand all of it yet, we're here to help each other. You know, we're here to aid one another. We're not here to judge one another. We're not here to push anyone down. We're here to lift each other up. And so they helped understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. The point was so that everyone could understand. They weren't trying to be so etherical and way up here and, oh, I'm so so much smarter than you. No, that's not the point. We're not here to tell you how much more we know than you. We're here to help you grow so that you can go duplicate yourself with someone else. Verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. You see, they were getting convicted. They started hearing the word of God. They started hearing everything that it said. And they started getting convicted. They're like, oh, man, we're not, we're not doing that. We're not living that way. I mean, imagine how much they read. They read all day. Imagine how far they got. And they started realizing we're not living like that. And so they started to weep. And so he's telling them, hey, listen, don't weep. Verse 10, he said, then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink. See, Cheryl says, eat the fat. See, I told you in the Bible, it says, eat the fat. She said, telling me, don't ever eat the fat. That's bad for you. I said, the Bible eats the fat. It said, it says. She said, no, it doesn't say that. There's your scripture. Thank you very much. Sorry. I got distracted. <laughs> eat the fat and drink sweet tea. I mean, sweet wine. And send portions to anyone who has, that was real. I, did, I said that on accident. I don't know why. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. Are you ready for this? And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Listen. We love to quote this scripture. But where does it come from? It comes from grief. It comes from pain. It comes from suffering. It comes from recognizing that you haven't been living the way you're supposed to live. It comes from an awareness. It comes from conviction. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Strength for what? To realize that even though you may not be where you're supposed to be, the joy of the Lord gives you the strength to get there. And all this reading they did was telling them of where they should be. And in order to get there, they needed the joy of the Lord. God makes it so simple. How do you get up enough strength and courage to move forward in life when things are against you? You find joy in the Lord. 
Our problem is we're trying to find joy everywhere else. We're trying to find joy in our job. We're trying to find joy in cheering for the wrong football team. We're trying to find joy in doing all kinds of stuff, and we're not finding joy in the Lord. Can someone say amen this morning? Hallelujah. Had to get that off my chest. I mean, you know. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet. For this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Whatever you're going through. Whatever you're facing. This day is holy. Do not be grieved. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they understood the words that were declared to them. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is delighting in the Lord in the midst of your suffering. Joy is taking pleasure in God even though you're in pain. Joy is choosing to get up and say, I'm going to serve God, even though everything else around me tries to get me to do the opposite. Joy is a choice. Joy is a decision. Joy is where God wants you. Joy is singing in a jail cell like Paul and Silas. They're chained to the walls and yet they're singing. They think they're going to get beheaded the next morning. And there they are singing hymns and praises and they're singing and they're singing and they sing so much they get the attention of heaven. And then the walls start to shake, the ground starts to shake, an earthquake happens and they keep singing. And next thing you know there's angels in the room breaking off their chains because they chose to find joy in the midst of their pain they chose to find joy in the midst of their chains they were sentenced to die and they chose joy worshiping God and come up last scripture Nehemiah 9 after the reading and there was a lot more to it but it was so so many names and so many words I couldn't pronounce didn't want to confuse you we jump into Nehemiah 9 after the reading after they go rejoicing after they go discovering what the relationship looks like with God now now that they're in their their city they're in their temple They're at peace. The wall is built. Everything's secure again. What does this look like? It says this. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. So there's obviously 24 hours in a day. For one quarter of the day, six hours, they're reading the book of the law. 
and they made confession and they worshiped. You see, there's a simple process. Once you find yourself in the joy of the Lord and you start delighting in him and you start experiencing his presence and you start reading his word and you start learning and you start growing, there's only one thing that ends up happening. You start recognizing your own sin. You start recognizing where you're really at. And you start going, okay, this is where I need God. This is where I need to change. This is where I need to make confession. This word is called repentance. Without living a life of repentance, it'll be really hard to maintain your joy. Because repentance allows you to relinquish all that weight, all that burden, all the anger, all the frustration, and say, God, that doesn't belong to me. What is repentance? In a nutshell, repentance is changing your mindset. It's not just simply saying, hey, I'm sorry I did that to you, I didn't mean it, and then walking off, and then five minutes later, you do it again. That's not repentance. Repentance is going, I can't believe I did that. What do I need to do to make sure I don't do that again? And then you go a different direction. You don't walk that same way anymore. You don't do that same thing again. Repentance is allowing the Holy Spirit to work on you to a point where you no longer are at the mercy of your own desires. Repentance is changing the way you think about yourself, changing the way you think about your sin, changing the way you think about your struggles and surrendering those things to the Lord. And then he does the work. You see, there's only a certain amount of things that I can do for you, Kevin. I can pray for you. I can hit you. Yeah, everybody loves that. I, I can encourage you, right? I can take you out to lunch. I can have more tacos. Like that last time. It was awesome. I can do so many things, right? I can be there for you. I can share scripture with you. But there's one thing I can't do for you. I can't do the heart surgery. That's what the master does. I, I can't fix this. The internal part of you, Kevin, the, the interior part of your spirit and, and all that goes along with it, I can't fix that. I can declare the goodness of God over you. I can share what the Lord has said about you. But you have to go to God and say, Lord, change my mindset. Help me redirect how I think about these things. Because if you don't do that, it'll never happen. Like I said earlier, I'm just the messenger. I'm here to convey the truth. It is your opportunity to go and walk out that truth. 
It is impossible to truly change your mind without that causing a change in action. If your mind is really changed, if your mind is really renewed, and the Bible gives the prescription for how to change your mind. Can you guess, can you guess what the prescription is? It's the word of God. He says, you renew your mind by washing it in the water of the word. The word of God is like a fountain, man. And when it pours over your mind, it begins to renew it. I mean, I shouldn't have thought like that. I shouldn't have acted like that. I shouldn't have said that. Oh my goodness. How do I know I shouldn't have done that? Because, well, the book of Proverbs says this, and the book of Psalms says this, and the book of Ecclesiastes says this, and then Jesus said this over here. How you think really matters. Even if you thought it, you might have done it. Hello? You know, he says all this stuff, right? And how do you find that stuff? You got to go read it. And how do you get renewed? Well, you got to get poured. I mean, it's like a waterfall. And when you sit under it long enough, it begins to wash your mind. It begins to cleanse your mind. It begins to renew your mind. And then your mind is changed and true repentance takes place. It is impossible to change your mind, to have repentance, if you don't change your action, if the behavior never changes. That's not repentance. That's just saying I'm sorry and not doing anything about it. Repentance results in changed behavior. That is why John the Baptist called people to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, he said, whatever you do, when, when you reproduce, you reproduce that fruit, it has to be in keeping with repentance, meaning it has to be where it gives transformation it can't just be surface behavior modification. There has to be true transformation on the inside. Repentance happens when you begin to flee from sin and exercise self-control. You see, this is one of the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, it's probably the most difficult one I mean we all love love right we all love peace but when he gets to the part where about self-control oh how many of us have that yeah if you can't say amen say ouch you know I heard I saw a friend say something Yesterday, and I thought it was so true because it's just where we're at right now. He said, we've gotten really comfortable with talking about people and not talking with people. Oof. We've got really comfortable with talking about people and not talking with people. You know why? Because we've lost self-control. And the Holy Spirit wants to refuel you. Refuel that self-control. Let's, let's stand this morning. I don't know what you're...
struggle is, where you're at in this moment. But I believe that you're going to find the joy of the Lord this morning. And you find it even in the midst of your struggle and your pain. So I want you to do something this morning. I want you to take a moment and pause. If you want to lift your hands, lift your hands. If you want to stand there, if you want to close your eyes, if you want to kneel down, if you want to come to the front, whatever it is you want to do, I want you to take a moment to reflect because I want to give you an opportunity this morning at true repentance where you ask God, hey, I'm dealing with this. I'm struggling in this area and I can't seem to shake the behavior. I can't seem to shake the issue. I can't seem to, to shake the thoughts, whatever it is. Maybe it's anger. Maybe you've got some unforgiveness. Whatever the issue is and you say, Lord, I really need true transformation. This is an opportunity we want to give you this morning to find true repentance because when you find that true repentance, you find true joy and the joy of the Lord is your strength. joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.